work it harder, make it better, do it faster, makes us stronger, more than ever, hour after hour, work is never over. This week we're talking about Discovery, the second studio album from the late electronic music duo Daft Punk. Welcome to the Essential Albums Podcast, where three guys from 85 have a conversation about some of the biggest albums ever and forgotten favorites from yesteryear. We'll dive into an album's place in culture, discuss its merits, and decide if a record holds up and if it's worth your time. Of course, we get into a lot more than that. So join longtime friends Ryan, Gordon, and Nice. We're living some of these classics and diving into our favorite albums. All right. I don't Gordon made it sound like they died. I know. <laughs> Really, quite quite shocking, actually. Probably, well, I, guess, I guess I did watch one of them explode today on YouTube. Oh, really? I gotta check that out. Okay, so based, based, we should based on explain this. We should probably explain what's going on because our listeners who, who are like on the verge of tears right now don't may not know, may not know. Yeah, so I mean, this whole week, I mean, if you haven't heard, uh, I almost a week ago they announced that uh, they're breaking up Daft Punk, the uh, the great electronic duo. Uh, is calling it quits after 28 years. I feel like this episode, we should kick it off with like the bells from like uh, aerodynamic or something. Just like, just like, it feels like a funeral based on every, I, I didn't realize like Daft Punk's always one of those kind of mystery groups to me. Cause I don't realize, like, I, I assume everyone loves them and respects them, but at the same time, you don't realize how much everybody does until you start seeing social media. And it's like, they were trending for like two days afterwards. And like, yeah. I think I even the record, our local paper reported I'll, on it. I'll, I'll tease. I have a take on this I'll get into later, but let's just say that farewell video had more views than any of their songs on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, and and it's probably it's from a movie that probably nobody knows about or very few people know about. Unless you're a hardcore Daft Punk fan, you, you might not know about that movie. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I guess... And he sent the link to us this week or sent me the link on YouTube of, of the, what was it called? The epilogue or the video that they had, the seven minutes finale video. Uh, what was, what were your thoughts when you saw that, Anise? I was like, is this for, re-? okay. So my initial thoughts were, is this for real? Because uh, a lot of Daft Punk fans probably don't realize this, but, uh, and it kind of relates to this Discovery album. So this will kind of touch into the first um, experience with this album, but in 1990, I guess it was September 9th, 1999, Daft Punk uh, released that they had died in an explosion in their studio. So they made their fans, and I remember at the time it was like a huge, like a huge deal, especially if you were a fan of that first album that, and I think One More Time may have come out around that time, or I'm not sure if it was out yet, but it was like, oh shit, like they're dead? And then the next day, they announced that they were replaced by two robots. <laughs> they were rebuilt as robots. So it's like, oh, okay. So when this, so for me, when this announcement first came through, I was like, I think I even sent Gordon the link. And I'm like, I don't know if this is for real or is this another like fake out? Are they going to drop an album on Friday? Like I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, you just sent me the link to the YouTube video. It was just like no comment or anything like that. So I watched the link first. And then after I like, watch the whole seven minute video, I went back to like the chat and you're like, is this for real? And I'm like, I hope not. But I mean, then it started getting traction. I think an actual representative came out and said, yeah, it is true. It's just so uh, strange because they haven't released an album in like, what? what is it, eight years or something? Has it really been that long? It's been a yeah. long time. 2013. 2013. Yeah, it's been eight years. So it's weird. It's like, okay, they split up. It's so kind of anticlimactic. And yeah, what are you splitting up? 
Yeah, but it, it's it's very Daft Punk, though. Like, it's a very Daft Punk thing to do to just announce your split up after not releasing. Like, they've been producing for The weekend and they work with yeah. Kanye and other stuff. But they haven't released an album album since Random Access Memory, which seems like forever ago now. Yeah, how, 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 did, how did it hit you, Ryan? How did you feel about the news or how did you hear the news? Yeah, well, from Anise, yeah, Anise is really sending sending that out. I, I was, I wasn't sure if it was real, but I was also like, you know, this is how long is this gonna last? It's really easy to put this band back together. It's just two robots, so you could the reunion tour could be at any point. <laughs> so I like and like Anise said, if that has more plays than any of their songs on YouTube. It's like, I don't know, it's YouTube numbers and yeah, a lot goes into that. I just found it kind of like funny. You got, you got to wonder, I don't know, like, I don't know what the relationship between them is. Maybe you guys know more about what the two of them are like and, and what may have led to this or what, like, are, are, do they hate each other? Cause if it's like just two people, what's going to stop them from making another song or something else? Like, what's the point of breaking up? That's, that's kind of my reaction. Well, I think it's more so, I remember uh, when they were working with The Weeknd, he was, I may have, I, I, I have this memory, it could be a false memory, but I remember when they were working with The Weeknd, they, uh, someone had asked Weeknd, like, how often do they even, like, get together and how? Because at that point, Daft Punk had moved from France to California because their idea was, like, you know, we're going to start working on movies and producing music and every, and everything else. So when the week when someone asked the weekend like how often did they like get together and he was like oh they get together like once a week once every other week they always work on stuff like they're they're always doing something so I think even if they weren't putting out music or producing or or anything they I think they're still like in the studio experimenting trying stuff you know they were yeah sort of trying to do something different it seemed I guess so but if Daft Punk's your job like I don't know they only meet in once a week. Maybe they were just hanging on, <laughs> like. Well, I, but they they do. It's not like they don't do other stuff. They both had their own label at one point. They both released music under like other names or their own names and stuff. And they're, they, I'm sure they're they're doing more stuff behind the scenes than what we see with our eyes. It just seems like when two when a duo like that breaks up. It's more like a statement that we're not going to make music together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when Death and broke up, it's just like, we don't like each other. We're not going to make I, music. But I think this, this sort of came on the heels of the um, uh, the weekend at the Super Bowl. I think that might have had something to play with it because leading up to the Super Bowl, the whole rumor was Daft Punk's going to be there. Daft Punk's going to be there. Daft Punk's going to be there. Oh. And I think they have this I, – I could be way off, but this is just my – my the way I view it, I feel like they just wanted to get rid of that expectation that they're gonna do something. Cause it's always been a thing with them. Ever since they first released homework, there's always this like, what are they gonna do next? What are they gonna do next? Like are they gonna release another album? Like there was if if you if you followed them, especially like moving into the internet age, there's always leaks. Is this a Daft Punk song? It sounds like Daft Punk. Is this a new Daft Punk song? Like it's always been a thing online where people are just sort of waiting for them to release something. So I think they just want to get rid of that expectation and just tell their fans like, Hey, like we're not releasing anything else. <laughs> yeah. It's like, they don't want to, 
they just don't want to be Daft Punk anymore. Like, imagine if you're just kind of tired of it and you want to do something else and your fans are constantly like, all right, when's the next thing coming? Come on, come on. Well, that's the thing, though. By by announcing they split, they're still Daft Punk. They're always going to be Daft Punk, but they just don't have the... They, their fans aren't just salivating for the next thing. They can be like, oh, they're split up. But I know. Knows? But like what you said, they can get back together in a year and drop something or in two years and drop something. And yeah, probably better for them because now they don't have the expectation. They're just sort of freed so, up. Okay, so so they're split up, yet they'll still work on soundtracks together. And in a couple years, they'll drop an album and probably go on tours robots. Are they split up? Well, no, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm just saying it's probably still open. Like in five years, I wouldn't be surprised if they released a song or something. Yeah, so they had nothing to lose by saying they split up, but everything to gain in terms of their YouTube views. Or just being in the mainstream media. It was in, it was in our local news. It was on CTV local news in Kitchener. They talked about the Daft Punk breakup. Like other podcasts I listen to, like a hockey podcast, they talked about the breakup. Like it's just been news. Yeah. Yeah, it's been massive. And and to add on, I guess what you mentioned earlier, Anise, about like the, just removing the expectation, because I think their whole dynamic, or I guess with the arrival of this album, the whole dynamic that they've always gone for is they don't like the media attention. They're, they're shy or they don't want to, they don't want to have that spotlight. And they, they like to have all the control. They like to have full creative control all over all of their work. That's how they signed their, their deal with, I think it was Virgin they signed with originally. So it seems to play. So by calling it quits, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're quitting. It just means that the, they can work under their own constraints, their own timeline. Yeah. Cause even if you like, Random Access Memory was the last album they released. But even that, it wasn't really like your standard Daft Punk album. It was no, it was much, unique. Yeah, yeah they, they pretty much acted mainly as producers and they had a lot of, you know, their influences or trying to call back to a lot of that stuff. So it's been almost since Human After All that you got like a proper like Daft Punk, what they're known for. So I don't know, maybe it's just free to do whatever they want now too. Like if they do want to do another soundtrack together or apart, if they want to work with other people, maybe they just want to DJ parties and clubs, or maybe they want to run a label, just kind of gives them more options. They're not anchored down by having to have these Daft Punk expectations. But do you think they could credibly release something in the future or the near future, say within the next five years without people going like, really? Was it all just uh, another explosion in the studio? <laughs> well, I don't know because they they're 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 kind of band that's true to their guns, so I could see them being apart for a while. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they're gonna release something in five years. If they did, I'm sure no one would be mad. So they're yeah. it's a win-win situation. Yeah, exactly. They have nothing to lose. I mean, yeah. even if they release something in five years, it's still like working under their timelines for what they release stuff under. It feels like they're like Stanley Kubrick. Every like eight years, they'll release something. Yeah. But when they do, it's amazing. <laughs> um, so I guess over the years, uh, what what has your relationship been with Daft Punk? Like, how often have you? I know this is a question later on, but how often have you like listened to them, or were they always in passing, or did you just more or less listen to them when something new came out? Uh, Ryan. Well, you know, my my relationship is kind of weird. Is like the first uh okay so it came out what this discovery came out like 2001 or something around there. Mm-hmm. yeah 2001 so like, around then i was not listening to anything remotely like daft punk really i wasn't i wasn't into any so i know that anise probably was 
you know, from your brother and stuff. But I, I, I was still in the, I was still listening to new metal actually 2001, but maybe not. Maybe that was the end of it. Was that the peak or the end? I, I don't know. I got to map this out. The history. Yeah. We'll do a whole episode on it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I was not listening to this kind of stuff when it came out, but when I was in college, like I'd heard all the, the singles and stuff like that. They're, they're well, I don't know about all of them. I, a few of them. Definitely. Uh, but in college, like we would, um, I guess Jamaica was a big band. A, a lot of people were in my course were big fans of them, I guess, because they had a lot of pro musicians in Jamiroquois band or whatever. And one of the guys we were covering Jamiroquois and he gave me uh, some MP3s of like a, a, a handful of songs from Discovery. Right. So I think I had had Digital Love. um one more time face to face and something about us. I think that was, yeah, yeah I think that was it. So it's like, you know, some, I don't know how many of those were, were all those singles. Uh, I think, I don't know if face to face was, but all the other ones were. Seems like this. You know. gave me like the song, the, some of the yeah, more. Yeah, face to face was the single. Oh, yeah, so there's technically like, six singles from this, but. Yeah, it pretty much gave you all the singles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, so then, but so I would listen to those on my like crappy little no name MP3 player, uh, which the battery did not last. It lasted like, I don't know, 45 minutes, one one bus ride. But it wasn't really into, I didn't get the full album until I got that dump from your iPod, Anise. And more importantly, I started listening to it after we, you introduced me to Justice. Justice was like, it really got me into this sort of thing. And then I dove into, discovery and i listened to discovery a whole bunch so that's really my relationship kind of a roundabout way of getting there well mine is similar to the whole chemical brothers thing because like i said in uh last week about how chemical brothers was sort of that bridge between like the dance music and the rock music daft punk was different it was a pushing forward of the dance music because throughout the 90s it was a lot of you had a lot of the house music that was coming out of Chicago and the U.S. And then you had the Euro dance music that was coming out of like Italy and France and Europe and just all over Europe. And Daft Punk almost like fused those two things and gave it sort of like a, like the harder edge with like those sounds you hear on like the funk, like the distorted like synth sounds or whatever it is. And it, it and it sort of marked a new chapter in dance music. Like even my brother was saying to me this week, he's like, when you look at, house music and dance music, you can almost draw a line of before Daft Punk and after Daft Punk because they changed how a lot of the dance music was presented and edited and chopped up and the, the loops and, and stuff. So for me, it was like a whole new thing, like a whole new style of dance music at the time. So it was kind of cool. And I remember my, my the one year for Christmas, our parents got us CD players and, and, uh, we each got to pick a CD. So I got my Discman and I got I'm Mother Earth. <laughs> and nice. my brother got his Discman and he was asking for Daft Punk, but it wasn't out yet. It came out the following month. So my dad gave us him a gift card. We both went out, got it. So we were right on top of, uh, my brother was right on top of Daft Punk too. And then leading into this album is when, like I was saying, the internet age and we were, you start getting the leaks. So one day released one more time. And then you start hearing leaks for like technologic and uh, not sorry, not technologic, harder, better, faster, stronger, and aerodynamic. There was like these 
short sample leaks that were online and people are like, is this Daft Punk? Is this Daft Punk? Because they knew since One More Time was released that something was on the way from them. So yeah, so the, my relationship with this album was right from the from the leak, <laughs> from the leaks. So, so Daft Punk has been another mainstay for me. Like my brother collects old things Daft Punk. That's a vinyl from Thomas Ben Galter's label. Nice. And like around on the other side of this wall, I have a Daft Punk poster that's been on in my kitchen ever since I moved into this house. So Daft Punk is very much a part of my life. <laughs> so did you wake up like Monday morning and your brother was like crying and you're like, Ursula, what's wrong? No, I told, I actually messaged him because I, I had to wake up early to go to work. And once I finish all my morning work, I usually sit, have my coffee and kind of catch up on news. And it was posted, I think, right in the morning or maybe it was closer to that. I can't remember the time. And I was like, oh, shit. And I sort of pass it around. And I'm like, I can't like, is this real? Like, is this really happening? You call, you call your brother. You're like, are you sitting down? I got some bad news, buddy. <laughs> how, about, how about you, Gordon? Were you always a Daft Punk fan or? Um, so, yeah, I was trying to think of how when I could start to call myself like a Daft Punk fan. Like I was always in the nineties. I remember like Defunk and Around the World. Those were two amazing songs with two amazing videos. So I saw those all the time. Um, and then I remember hearing the music and seeing like the weird, uh, almost like cartoon videos from Interstellar um, 5555. Mm -hmm. um, so it, I didn't really put like Daft Punk I didn't really get the scope of Daft Punk and their music. Um, but as college went on, um, I knew by like 2005 when Human After All came out, I knew who Daft Punk was and I was ready for that album to come out and, and I knew all their songs. So somewhere between like in the early 2000s to 2005 is when I was starting to embrace Daft Punk and then I was I was completely on board by, by 2005. Um, so I've always listened to them. I've always liked their, their music videos. And um, I think... I. Maybe the whole thing is like just understanding their look, like that whole robot look, I think, came with this album. But prior to that, they weren't really in their music videos. So it was like, who's Daft Punk? Like, what do they look like? Because they, for the first album, they were always sort of against like sort of fame and just being popular for their music. So I remember even interviews for this album, for their first album, Homework, they would wear masks. I remember they had an interview on Much Music. They were wearing these like translucent masks, sort of covering their faces and their artwork. There's always just like kind of, obscure pictures of them like in the liner notes like there was never really clear shots it was only like when the internet rolled around where it's like this is them this is what they look like now this is yeah. a picture from like them djing a club in 1998 or something yeah escape it yeah yeah so i mean for my first um i guess for my first uh the first time I heard this album in full, uh, I would probably say it was like around 2004, 2005 uh, in college. And I just remember, um, you, the, I always knew the singles because of music videos and stuff like that. Uh, but I just remember when this song first, or, or this album first opens up, it starts with one more time and you're already like at that level. So um, I, yeah, it was definitely in the college college years when I when I first listened to this album from beginning to end. And, and like uh, this album too, because of... Uh we'll probably talk about it a bit later because of their live show and their, and all that content later in, in the later two thousands, it was almost this album had a resurgence because all those songs were in there. And then he started having bands like justice and you had like the whole, um, uh, what's it called? Like the blog, like the blog, what do they call it? The blog, um, for what? Sorry. The, the blogger, like dance music. I can't think of the word, but oh, like, like vlogger video. No, 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 no. It was a uh, frick. I, I, I know it here, but um, 
Yeah, like they started all the bands that they influenced um, started sort of making music. And like even rock bands were releasing songs that were kind of Bloghouse. There you go. Okay. Bloghouse. So you started having like bands like Justice played with like Death from Above, played with Mastercraft, played with like The Rapture, played with like Does It Offend You? Yeah, played with like The Presets. There were just these bands that were sort of mixing rock and and um, dance music. And this album, they it's what Daft Punk was doing. They started putting guitars and <laughs> with their dance music and started mixing genres. That was a, quite a, a break, though. Isn't there a gap in time here? Like, are we thinking... Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying, because in between they released another album, but then I'm saying when their live show came out, when they played like Coachella and they released the live album, this album got a huge like sort of resurgence in 2007. That that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. That was like, I think, around the time where I started listening to it a lot. So, yeah, that could could probably make sense. You know, another huge moment, uh, memory from listening to this album is uh, when you were DJing. Remember uh, one more time? I remember that yeah. clearly. So 2009, 2010. So that's almost like right in the uh, the time period. Well, you know. that, that was the thing because when I was DJing, I was playing a lot of the Bloghouse stuff. So it was easy yeah. to it was easy to mix in Daft Punk or or even kind of older Chemical Brothers stuff or just stuff right. from the late late 90s, early 2000s because it was almost like the echo of that was what we were getting in the 20 2007, 2008, 2009, 10. Yeah. Especially with like the dance rock, they kind of played off the same sort of aesthetics, which is not surprising because you know I remember reading about this album and part of what they were trying to do is like play around with song structures that are more songy. Yeah. So I, I didn't listen to homework, so I don't really know what it's like, but I imagine it's probably like more repetitive and like slower builds kind of stuff. Well, because originally they got together for homework, uh, like uh, Thomas Van Galter and uh, Guy Manuel Dome Cristo, they got together to just make a bunch of house tracks. Like they were just going to release a bunch of singles, but then they ended up making a whole shit ton of songs and it sounded different. It was like a good mashup of their two styles. Like if you listen to Thomas Van Galter stuff and you listen to the nightclub, which is Guy uh, Man stuff, you see where, what, who brings what to it. So with homework, they didn't really have anything set out. So when it came time for discovery, they're like, okay, let's actually make an album <laughs> as opposed to just track and track and track and track and track. So they, and they started mixing in other influences like the disco stuff and the rock stuff. And they just kind of refined their sound. Cause the first album homework is a lot uh grungier like a lot of the samples and stuff sound a lot heavier and dirtier okay and is it more less of like the disco funk side and and less singing those are the elements i imagine that you know daft punk started to bring lean heavier on you know yeah because the first album i'd say is more or less like a straight up house like a french house because it pretty much created the genre of french house that like justice and sebastian and kavinsky and all them started to do later on but uh, yeah, it was a lot more repetitive with their samples and stuff. Especially Thomas Van Galter just loves the shorter the sample, the better for him. For, for him. But, yeah, so, I mean, because li- like listening to some of the tracks on here, it's like every four bars sometimes there's a new thing that comes in or something. And that's not like how I typically imagine a lot of house music where it's just like 
takes a lot longer. For yeah, because they're like a generally a house track when you're when it's made for like a a DJ and they throw it on a 12 inch vinyl, they'll make it like 10 minutes or 15 minutes just so the DJ can fuck around with it. So I know like, yeah. Cause like, I'm, I'm sure like the songs on homework, I think some of them on the, if you got like the single, there'd be like a 12 inch version that was longer, but the songs on homework, they're not generally long, but there's a lot of songs and, but yeah, it's more repetitive, more builds up, less singing. Uh, you do still get some of the disco and funk, but it's not like, um discovery like yeah. on later tracks like burning and indo silver club you get some of the disco but generally it's it's more just kind of house french house right yeah i think that that first album is also probably their most aggressive yeah um in terms of like the sound i mean it's hard to call, after hearing lots of dance music it's hard to hear it's hard to call that punk aggressive but out of all of their releases it's probably the most aggressive release well well human after all you get the heavy distorted yeah, a little bit yeah for sure but it, it's it's weird because it's almost like that album like human after all because that song that album's very loopy as well where it's just loops 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 to almost to the point where you have a three minute song that's like a five second loop for the whole time <laughs> but uh but it's almost like that those aggressive elements were made to throw into the to the live show because a lot of those songs got mixed in with these discovery tracks to give it the same edge as those a lot of those mm. songs. For, for you mean for like their 2007 live? Yeah, their 2007 live show. Yeah, because I, I know they have. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Well, I would just say that would make sense if that live show is really what gave them a big bump there around then. You know, if if it was the live show that did it, why wouldn't you do that more? You know, why wouldn't you put the record out like that? Hmm. Yeah, and I think another good thing to check out too is like the the nineteen ninety seven alive is pretty much from that era, right? So it's it gives yeah. it's like forty seven minutes one track of of that era. So and that was released around the time of Discovery. I think the same year as Discovery. Uh, so it just gives you a little more flavor of of what they are live versus what they're releasing like mm-hmm. via studio albums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess this can we can open this up for for some song questions. Uh, the singles from this album, uh, there were six of them. Uh, that span all, over three years, or, or nearly three years. Uh, but the singles were One More Time, Aerodynamic, Digital Love, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, Face to Face, and Something About Us. And Something About Us is listed as like November uh, 14, 2003. Um, so that's quite some time after. I think it was probably just promotional or whatever. I mean, they're not touring or anything like that. So, um, yeah, so that, that was it's quite a span. Well, a lot of those singles too, because it was so easy to make release videos because they just chopped up their, like the interstellar 555, like the visual yeah. movie that goes along with this, with the album. So it's a lot easier to just chop up a single and release the video. <laughs> yeah. But so I just, the ones I remember getting a lot of play though, were one more time and harder, better, faster, stronger kind of got the most play from what I remember. You don't remember digital love. I remember that a lot. I remember Digital Love, but I don't recall it getting a lot of, maybe I just, maybe I wasn't listening to a lot of the radio. I remember being in the Gap commercial. <laughs> it's probably just me. It's probably just me because I love the song so much. So I, I probably have listened to it way more than I have actually heard on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For for me, I mean, those are the big three singles and just kind of thinking back on what was big at the time. Like I remember one, one more time being huge and then Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. I, I don't know if that, 
was super big at the time. I'm sure it was, but I'm like, I was thinking of the Kanye West effect after. Yeah. And, oh, and of course, the live mix of it too. You're forgetting a big thing, Gordon. What's you're that? Forgetting about Daft Hands. Daft Hands? Daft Hands? No. You guys don't remember Daft Hands. It was like one of the first viral videos I remember seeing on YouTube, but the person had like the words for harder, better, faster, stronger on their hands. Now and I remember. The song, they're like, holding fingers up I totally up. forgot about that yeah that was you're right that was like a mid-2000 kind of yeah. when youtube came out it was yeah. one of the first big videos yeah and i don't know i just remember hearing that i remember hearing harder better faster stronger like quite a bit yeah so did i i just i was like where did it kind of come from like it, it everybody knows like that course because it's so repetitive and it's it's catchy as hell mm-hmm. and then i but the kanye west sampled it in 2007 so i'm like before 2007 how did i hear this song and, and the bust the rhymes he kind of did oh, those technologic i get yeah similar kind of thing oh, yeah sorry sorry wrong song so um, I, I i was never a big clubber but i know you guys went to the club would they play any daft punk probably not so you're not hearing this at so yeah. i would Okay, so after New Year's, I know I don't know what you were referencing, Ryan, about Anise's DJing, but I know at New Year's it's like required to play like one more time. Like once okay. midnight hits, you have to hear it there. And it's one of those songs too. Um, just going to the club if you do hear it at the club. Everybody, it's like a club anthem. Like everybody's singing the words. They're, the words are fairly simple. Everybody's got it down to like that. Mm, like everybody's with it. So it's popular one? in that regard. Just just one more time though. That's the well, first one that comes to mind. Well, one more time, too, like for us at the club, because, yeah, this album came out in 2001, but One More Time came out in, what, 99 or 2000? Uh, it would have been 2000. 2000? So, yeah, it came out a good year before, too. So Yeah, end of 2000. Yeah, we were still in high school. <laughs> so by the time when we were going to the club, yeah, it didn't – they started playing it again when the Bloghouse stuff started rising again. But in – where we are, we're kind of a small town, so we would get it at like, um, what is it, Loose Change Louis? That was it's not a Loose Change. Phils sometimes. Phils, Phils, Phils yeah. get it at Phils because they had like an electro night, so they played a lot of, a lot of the stuff that was coming out in the late two thousands. But it also included Daft Punk, just because it was so everything that came out was reminiscent of Daft Punk. But yeah, it wasn't when we were going to the club. It was more like hip hop, like we were talking about in the in the Fifty Cent episode how they played a lot of 50 cent when we were in the clubs so that's yeah. unfortunate that, that... Bro. get her on the camera <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i mean i guess uh, what you might hear around the world every once in a while but it's such a distinct song like it's almost like a throwback song that they would mix in yeah yeah sure where one more time has just sort of become like like we're, we're, we're going to talk about like the biggest song on the album. It's clearly one more time. It just sort of became like what Gordon was saying. It's a celebration song. It gets played all the time. I think it has like their most streams. And it, it sort of is like, since it did come out a, a year before the album, it kind of, that was their first sort of change that you saw them bringing in the disco and the funk and everything sort of uh, coming yeah. together for the discovery album. It's weird though. I remember like, because I didn't really notice one more time when it first came out, because I wasn't paying attention to that music. But I remember the first time I heard it, and I was like, "Oh, is this song? Is this like some song from the '80s that I missed?" Like I, I didn't realize how recent it was. Yeah, which is interesting because, like, you're also saying that they surge forward the genre of electronic music. So, you know, and house music. So, you know, 
So they surge forward by reaching back, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Because there's so many. That's, that's, what it was. That's, that's literally what it was. Because they, they, like that first album, like I said, it was sort of just playing on the house, mu- house music and the, and the Euro dance that was sort of in the 90s, but it kind of had their flavor and their sort of edge to it. But in this album, that's when they started bringing all the funk influences, the disco influences, rock influences. They kind of wanted to um, take older influences that they grew up with and make an album kind of expressing it all. And if you listen to the song uh, Teachers on Homework, they literally go through and name all their influences. So you hear it from the first album, them mentioning like George Clinton and you know, Armin van Helden even, or just all the- Dr. Theory. Dre's in the house. Dr. Dre, like they, and, and this was like back in 97 and they were already kind of laying the groundwork, but these are our influences, even though this is like our album right now. It kind of, and then in the second half of that album too, you start getting the flavors of what's to come. And in this album, it just seems so much tighter and it's so much, you can tell that they knew they were a group now and they were making an album. You know, they changed their whole image with the with the- Robots. The robots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like when Daft Punk started coming together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think this is the album that kind of signaled the change uh, in in how they would make more conscious decisions and in, in how they looked and, and the sound that they had. I will throw in this though because, uh, like, uh, it still involves Thomas Ben Galter. But before one more time, there was the music sounds better with you by Stardust. I don't know if you've ever heard that song, but it's Thomas Ben Galter, Alan Brax, and someone else I can't think of right now. But it was like uh, released on Roulette, like on Thomas Ben Galter's record label. And it was like a one-off song. I think they did two songs all together, but it was called Music Sounds Better With You. And it sounds like one more time is very reminiscent of the Music Sounds Better With You in style and sound. has the same sort of celebration feel and the, the lyric like the repetitive lyrics and stuff, but no, it's a good track. And that kind of predated it and kind of gave you a taste of where Thomas Ben Galter and Daft Punk were going to head with, with discovery. Cause then when one more time came out, it was almost like, Oh shit. It's like a sequel to music sounds better with you. Hmm. Yeah. That, that is a good track. And, yeah. and I, I get what you're saying. Um, so, I mean, do we, are we all in agreement that the biggest song was one more time or what do you think, Ryan? No, I think it's definitely true. Like, like you said, it's an anthem for New Year's. It's a yeah, huge celebration. Track. Everybody knows it, and it's not like there's a lot of lyrics to memorize, so everybody can sing sing along. It's just a huge buildup. Like that break, like the the breakdown and the buildup is so long. It's just, I don't know. I mean, it's so long for pop music. It's probably quite short for house music, but yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm sure there's probably like a radio single where it's like four minutes or three three thirty or something like that hmm. um so what do you think is the most overplayed song if if there is one from this album well i mean like that's the only song that i could claim that's overplayed really the the other yeah. songs the other songs don't have that reach like i don't i don't like other than it's- thinking i heard digital love like i don't remember hearing uh, harder, faster, stronger, better, whatever the phrase. Yeah. Almost, I would almost have to say that their songs weren't played enough at the time. Like yeah. seeing, how, seeing how like popular and famous they've become now, and how like they were pi- like they're considered like pioneers and revolutionaries or whatever, and how like they were completely ignored. Like they had cool music videos from homework. Yeah, so yeah. you had uh, like Defunct got a lot of play and Around the World. 
But those were directed by Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry. Like those were just these huge yeah. music videos where when this album rolled around, I don't remember seeing those animated videos a lot. And like at this point, they were leaning too much into the disco and stuff. So the rock radio stations weren't playing them anymore. Yeah. Whereas like the whole LCD sound system, Daft Punk is playing at my house. It's all based on like Daft Punk being played on rock radio stations. That was the whole premise mm-hmm. of that song. But at, by, by Discovery, I don't think it was really there. So and the and the top forty stations were playing, you know, bubblegum or or like you said, hip hop. Yeah, yeah, they're playing a lot of hip hop. So it was the clubs, but then local clubs weren't really playing, like even any house music. So you kind of had to go out of town. So you had to go to Toronto if you wanted to hear house music in general, let alone Daft Punk. <laughs> yeah, it, just noticing where where it landed on the charts too, like it debuted pretty it did pretty well in europe and canada but in the states it, i think it came in at like 23 debuted at 23 in the charts so compared to two in in france or two in canada two in canada so like well yeah, and then even looking, like we, that's the pace of the music usually in the states you know? yeah and and again like when we touched upon it last episode that that huge 97 year with the three big releases with prodigy Chemical Brothers and Daft Punk, Prodigy went number one. Chemical Brothers went number 20-something, I think. Whereas Daft Punk, they peaked at 150. So even when you look at the rookie seasons, Mm. (laughs) really, like Daft Punk was the underdog. And it wasn't until this album where they started. It's funny because by the time this album came out, musically, people were like, oh, shit, they're like, really maturing and really like sounding super solid yet they were getting less radio it almost felt like well at least to me here in canada i felt like they were getting less ra- actual radio play yeah well pop the, like the culture pop culture was moving in a different direction here it seems at at the same time you know, with the pull of the united states and their pesky new metal <laughs> you know no you weren't getting you weren't getting digital love or or anything like that on the radio i guess so yeah. that much just just to add on to that or, or just a, a question to that do you guys think it was like the mid-2000s that gave them that bump or do you think it was the lives that gave them that bump because now it's not uncommon to hear songs from this album on the radio like on top 40 or whatever so yeah. do you think it was like that 2004 to 2007 range without that we wouldn't hear as much discovery. I think it was partially that Coachella performance in 2006 that led to the Alive tour in 2007 that gave him a huge bump. But I think it was just the influence as well, because like going forward, you saw like the big boom of the of the electro music or ele- blog house, electro house, and stuff that was popular around 2010. Mm-hmm. Then you also had Daft Punk come in, and you know they did the soundtrack for Tron. They produced. They worked with Kanye. They worked with The Weeknd. They worked. Uh, Thomas Ben Galter worked with Arcade Fire. So all of a sudden, you started seeing like more of their influence in popular music. And then it's one of those like retroactive things, sort of like make to make a weird sort of comparison. Like Pixies had had some hits, but they didn't really gain their traction until their inf- the bands they influenced became popular. And Daft Punk almost lives kind of in that same world but they were considered really cool when they came out so it's a little different like they were the cool the cool guys making with the cool videos and the cool music but it was the same thing it seemed like they started getting more respect at least from the mainstream once people from the mainstream started citing them as influences or working with them and 
they yeah. seeing their influence in music. It was like the mainstream was like, oh, that one more time song is cool. Cool. You guys, you guys are cool. And then that's all. That's enough. But the artists were hugely influenced by, by them and kept listening to them and making music that was similar. And they wanted more Daft Punk. So, you know, Daft Punk just was slowly building the whole time in the background. Yeah. A, clue, a clue might be that last single that you said released in 2003, something about us. It's like, OK, maybe they're they're just stretching it out because there's, you know, it's just a slow build the whole time. Yeah. And they're not really touring, but like even one more time, it, it, the highest it went on the billboard 100 was 61. So it wasn't like I won number one on the dance chart or um, number one on the dance club songs, but mm. of course it's going to go number one on the dance club songs. <laughs> Whereas now, like if you think of, if you think about how big that song is now, it's crazy to think that it did it wasn't a number one. Yeah. I'm actually mm-hmm. surprised. Yeah, at least not in like the U.S. Yeah, I, uh, for my overplay, I mentioned earlier. I think it's um, uh, better, faster, stronger, or sorry, harder, better, faster, stronger. Uh, just because of where it's been played before, and yeah. I mean, this is Kanye like West. Kanye West, the the, the YouTube hands, staff hands, and and that. Um, I guess the other thing is too. I'm looking at it retroactively, so when you go back. And you listen, put that song on for the first album. You hear it seems like almost flat, like it's just the instruments, and you got like the bell on on the, the drums yeah. and all that stuff. But I mean, just because everything, every other version I've heard of it, it's like the bass is much more intense. It's punched up, like it's either faster or it's or it, it's played in a live atmosphere. So it's it's almost a different song now. I guess yeah. If you compare it to all of its other versions, it's true. Right in the context of the album, it's still fine. It's perfect, but like yeah, with yeah. the two or three other versions that I know, it's I know kind of like a weak Kanye. Version, exactly. I know when it when it first comes in, it's almost like oh yeah, it's like this is the pace of this. Like dun, dun, dun. it's like yeah, it's like almost slow. <laughs> really, I, I always like well because I had gotten into Justice a little bit more. And I don't think this was one of the ones on my MP3 player. I associated all that like busy baseline and sample stuff from Justice with this song. So I was like, oh yeah, this is that kind of thing. So I was I was digging that one immediately. And what I love about the song too is how, you know, about halfway through it just switches to like just a straight build up. We're just like now we're just gonna build up the rest of the way. It's yeah. like it's got this hook at the beginning and then all right, we're going to build off the hook. Yeah. It's almost like you can see how it was made. Mm-hmm. Good track. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I guess uh, we can go on to the next question. Uh, what's your favorite song? Um, I think you mentioned yours, Ryan, earlier. Um, it's, it's, what is yours? Digital Love, if you, if you forgot already. I haven't sang it for you. I, I've, it's like on my list of like uh, regular covers. So I have like an acoustic version of it. Like I've sang it at weddings. I've sang it at bars and stuff. It's just, uh, I don't know. On the album, in ter- maybe in terms of all Daft Punk songs that I can think of, it has like a, a singy song verse. Whereas... Yeah can't think of another song that really has like a, a well sometimes like something about us occasionally there there is some but that one's got like the most like um it's like melodic the only, singing song verse it's like a story and it's a, yeah. it's a love song yeah it's like the only straight up pop song on the album and it's got a freaking killer solo in it yeah but yeah, no, what I was saying is like, it's almost like the, like the only straight up pop song on the album where it's not sort of rooted in house music or 
True. Else. It's just sort of, you can see a pop artist doing this a rendition of the song, which they like to do if you do a search yeah. on YouTube. Except <laughs> the ending. The ending is like Daft Punk, where it goes off on this crazy, yeah. you know, melodic, arpeggiating solo. Yeah. yeah I, I, like, not to jump to the underrated, but I'd almost say that song is underrated. It should have been like a bit, I feel like, like Ryan, it should have been a bigger single. Like I feel yeah. like because of it being closer to a pop song, I'm surprised they didn't like, I know they're doing their own thing with their their animated film, but it seemed like if they would have made a proper video for that song, not just an excerpt from the film, yeah. it could have maybe played better. Cause it was used in the, uh, in the Gap commercial. So it does have that appeal. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that because I love that that Gap commercial. I haven't seen it in a few years, and and I went back and watched it this week, and it's just great. Like it's it's the two of them in their Canadian tuxedos, and uh, and Julia Lewis is in it. She's dancing, and she looks great in her like early two thousands baggy jeans and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also read that Daft Punk was like uh, con- contractually obligated to wear Gap clothing, so that's why they're wearing their. Like a, a jean jacket and jean pants or jeans. Of course. Um, but but I love that. I think it's a great song. I, I have it as one of my favorites as well. Um, just like the way the drums kick in at, or at the breakdown or the solo or whatever towards the end, it's, mm-hmm. it gets in your head and it sticks in your head. Like, I mean, usually I, I, I don't really sing lyrics a lot. I, I never remember lyrics well. Um, but I often just like, will like kind of beatbox or do like that kind of thing when I'm walking the dog. And like all week I was doing like that drum part and I'm sure the dog was like annoyed. But yeah. Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, stop this. But <laughs> it, it's, it's so catchy, man. I love that song. It is. It's a song. Like you know, it's the kind, like you said, a pop artist could do it, or it could be an acoustic song, or it could be just because it's just a, a nice melody with nice words and nice chords. Now it has a Daft Punk structure though, so it's kind of it's kind of weird when you cover it. You got to be like, okay, so what do I do? It's all like based half? on samples. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, even structurally, in the second half, you're like, okay, do I learn the solo or <laughs> what do I do here? I know it's always it's that's actually why it's kind of cool to watch because there's a lot of covers of this song, especially this that specific digital love on yeah. YouTube. It's always cool to like watch a like a band like a live band play it. Like they a lot of times they'll do the solo or or change it up in certain ways to make it fit to whatever their style is. So yeah, yeah. it's a song that a lot of bands seem to gravitate towards because it is so poppy. Now who song who sings the song? I don't even I have no idea. Daft who? Daft Punk. Yeah. Well, which like. I guess we um, if, I had to, if I had to guess, I'd probably say Thomas Ben Galter. He, does he sing so, uh, something about us as well? Uh, I'm pretty sure whatever. If a song is sung by Daft Punk, I'm, I'm, I usually just assume it's Thomas Ben Galter. I don't know if I read that somewhere or my brother told me or where that's from, but I'm pretty sure it's usually Tomas. Does yeah. he? He doesn't sing it live, though. No. Uh, probably not. It's probably all just sampled. Yeah, they're shredding the guitar. <laughs> um, another song that I had as uh, a favorite was Too Long. Um, Ryan might think this song is too long, but I like the way it's uh, it builds. It's a good closer for the end. So it's kind of like, it's almost like a, a Daft Punk beat cut. Um, but I like kind of the journey that you go on. And uh, I mean, I, I, I totally get it, why it wouldn't be a single, but it's good just to just to throw it on and listen to it. Yeah, I like how in uh, Too Long, you get Roman Anthony again singing from uh, One More Time. But then you get the, uh, it's almost like the second half of the song is a remix of the first half. 
because you get the romance yeah. singing, but then in the second half, they chop up all the lyrics and it becomes more of just like straight up house song. I don't know. I, I liked, I really like Too Long as well. You guys have seen my, you guys have seen my choices. Okay, hold on, hold on. I got to <laughs> say something about Too Long because you guys are pumping it up here, but you know, I had no idea it was the same vocalist uh, from One More Time, but I, I like those vocals, they just don't sound good at the beginning. This like, it's his voice up front and it's kind of like, a, a a weekly sung loop. I don't know. I just never well, liked it. I just I never think, liked it. I think the point of the lyrics at the beginning, though, is to chop it up later. <laughs> okay, fine. So give me some crap I have to listen to for a while. It'll turn good. Don't worry. I well, mean, crap, crap to you. I, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> it's about the journey. It's all about the journey. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. Can't be a party every night. Yeah. Um, sorry, Denise, was Too Long your favorite song, or did you have another one that you wanted to add? Uh, uh, I had um, what I had, uh, Digital Love listed as well, but my, probably my favorite is Face to Face. I love Face to Face. Like, I love the cut up, like the whole sort of cut up beat that they have on that track, which I guess is a, is a, is a Todd Edwards thing, my brother tells me, that he commonly does. I know Todd Edwards was someone they wanted to work with on homework, but it didn't work out. And they would work with again on random access memory. I think his voice fits the song great. I yeah. I, I love like the build up, the way the beats chopped up. It's it's that's one of my favorites. And I and I also want to say I really like Crescent Dolls. Like like one more time, it's like their other celebration song on the album. <laughs> and this might sound this might sound a little uh, <laughs> little weird, but watching the movie this week with the and like the animated movie because i hadn't seen it since it came out so watching it this week it was uh kind of changed my view of some of the songs in a weird way <laughs> in a weird way i was like cheesy or whatever the movie is or the story is supposed to be it was just i don't know crescent dolls worked it's the name of the band in the movie <laughs> i know didn't they beat that punk for the award for best musical group <laughs> in that movie <laughs> yeah, they did. but no it's another disco track celebration track it's like their first time jumping back into disco on the album after one more time. So it's kind of after going through aerodynamic digital love, harder, better, faster, it kind of just jumps back in. Then you get night visions and then it's pretty much a party from then on out. Yeah. It's like they wanted to keep the, that momentum going. Don't worry. We got house. We got house. <laughs> I just wanted to mention something about face to face. It's a good yep. example of um, this production technique well, it's not a, not a technique. It's just thrown in a lot of pop songs where you put like, you put like palm muted guitar, but it's kind of like single note bass notes, and you, you stereo them. I never really, I never really understood where I got that sound from, but when I listened back to this, I realized I I've been producing this uh, pop record, and I I did that, and it's like, oh, this sounds really good. I I don't know why this sounds so good, and then I listened back to Daft Punk. I'm like, oh. It's probably because I was listening to this album. It's like just listen to it again and listen to how the guitar is like totally surrounding you, but it's a totally clean guitar. It almost just sounds like a bass. Anyway, love that sound. Yeah, uh, the only thing I gotta add to that is um, that face to face reminds me of the Justice song DVNO, and yeah. uh, so just the the same the, the similar style of singing and the upbeatness of it sounds like it's and, and I guess the content of the lyrics as well. And that whole like chopped up feel, like my brother told me it's like the Todd Edwards like staple, but there's other uh, DJ dude that came out around like the late 2000, like 2010-ish around that era, Wolfgang Gardner. His music is all like this, but like done to the 10th degree. It's great. 
really aggressive, old chopped up. Kind of has the same vibe. So, no, I, I like that song. I'd, I'd say check out Wolfgang Gardner if you like face to face. Yeah, it seems like all those songs are just like built with like contraband. Like the, the samples are so small and like you don't know where it came from. It's just like yeah. cut to shit, but it makes something awesome. That's a, actually like a, a, a fun thing to do is just a, a lot of people on YouTube will have videos just showing how they made a beat or how they got their sample and how it's chopped up. It's actually kind of interesting how they do it. It's like even like I know it went viral this week the one more time like dah, dah, like that whole thing. It's sort of like how did you even find this? How did you know to chop that exact moment? Like what led to this? Like where did you find this record? How many hours did you have to spend to find this record, to yeah. find those pieces of music, to know that that's what you want? Yeah, there's uh, the one uh, YouTube channel, I forget which one, but uh, they, they'll take a producer and they take them to a record store and they pick out random records and try to make a beat out of those records. It's kind of cool. And that's a lot of them say they do that. They'll just blind buy records, buy like an old record that has a cool album cover and just try to find something to use. Yeah. It's a lot of just record record searching. No, what I like to do is just like drop, I can drop loops on my software. So I just like drop random loops and songs and be like, occasionally you'll hit something that's really cool as a loop. It'll be like the weirdest thing. Anyway, that's one fun way to do it. Yeah. So I guess the, the next question here is um, what's an underrated song? Uh, I'll kick this off just because it adds on to what you're saying. Um, I like the song uh, High Life a lot just because it's all just tight samples. And when I think of that song, I think there's lyrics and stuff to it, but then there's actually no lyrics. It's just like, just sounds that sound like somebody singing. Mm-hmm. That's a great house. That's like a great, just straight up house track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think is an underrated track in uh, well, I kind of touched on it when we were talking about uh, it's sort of like a different way to approach underrated, but I was saying like digital love just because I feel like it should have been bigger, especially yeah. like knowing how big random access memory was where there was a lot of songs that were sort of more similar to this than anything else they've ever done. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I feel like this song could have had just a huge presence on the radio bigger yeah. than we had. Out of the big three singles, I totally agree. This is the most underrated out of those big three. Yeah, but other than that, I would say any song that you've been skipping over the years, listen to it. It's <laughs> That's the underrated track. <laughs> yeah, they all feel good. Like, even the ones that you might not gravitate towards, even if it's just on, they just feel good. Like, they're dancey, but they have this, like, background, synthy string spaciness that's, I don't know, in a weird way, comforting. Like, I don't know if you guys ever fallen asleep to, like, a like a dancey album before, like you're just so tired, but it's on. This is the kind of thing that's like so hypnotizing. It's like, it's dancey, but at the same time, there's these spacey, comforting strings that's, in the background. That's the, that's the French house thing. That's literally what Daft Punk like introduced. Yeah. Like was the whole like French, you know, like the Serge Gainsbourg sort of like dreamy sound that you kind of associate uh, with French music. I don't, I don't even know where the association comes, but the whole, I guess from, groups like air and daft punk but mm. you get that whole dreamy feel and they're using it but in like house music and then it kind of goes forward you see other people like justice kind of does it a bit and like a lot of the ed banger like their rec- like the record label that their uh managers record label ed banger records pretty much had just all the daft punk copycats on and they all had that similar sort of dreamy sound to their beats but yeah like like that song Verde Quo, Quo, or am I saying that right? 
that has a very like kind of my brother was saying it's the song you want to play when you're walking through a museum <laughs> but it has that sort of french dreamy sound kind of reminds me of like air like it could be an air song it could be like a work soap song just sort, I, of, sort of dreamy dance feel yeah the note i had for for that song specifically i i, I put uh, reminds me of a mellow vitalic song like from okay cowboy yeah. like that that first big album that they had yeah, it's funny because like everything, every time you say it reminds me of, it's always something that came after. <laughs> yeah, most of my mori- yeah. reminds me of on my list here. It's it's all kind of future influences. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happened to them, right? That's that's why they grew. They yeah. influenced a lot of people. Yeah, because like even like we we t- we talked about a bit about like something about us, but you got to get that down tempo sound on that, which oh, you man. which you hear in like groups like Washed Out or Toro y Moi. Like even just these quote unquote filler tracks on this album is almost like created a subgenre onto itself or was part of a subgenre onto itself. Like Are you they're calling reaching... something about us a filler track. I'm gonna say that's un- underrated right there. No, I'm just I that's why I put it in no, I didn't mean that one specifically, but I mean some of like Night Visions or That's a great song. Night that's Visions. what I'm that's my that's what I'm saying. They're it's not actually they're not, the in your, they're not the in-your-face dancing songs or in-your-face, like, pop songs, but they're still great songs, the songs that people probably do skip. It's true. Like, Night Vision, I was... The note I made for it was like, this could have been a song. These are nice chords and a nice vibe and everything. It's almost like they're like, nah, we don't want too many pop songs on our album. We don't want to be known as a pop band. Maybe that's what happened to them because, you know, it doesn't make sense how after one more time and you have this great pop song to release as an, I don't know if it was the second single, it definitely could have been or should have been that should have done well. Right. Maybe they didn't, maybe they just didn't want to be a pop band. So they kind of were kind of pushing against it at the same time. I'm sure the the radio, it it really just comes down to the radio playing it because they were released as singles. That's true. Yeah. If people would have jumped on it, it would have got played. It's kind of out of their control. They they did the most they could do. I, I guess, they didn't really tour it or do they don't do interviews or anything like that. So, Oh, that would do it. That would do it. (laughs) So they're, they're sort of like the Pearl jam where they didn't do any of the media. It was all just based on their work. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to, right? They, that's what, that's why they died in an explosion. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, for, for Night Vision going, going into this album, like, does this album have like any slow jams or is it always like, I'm trying to remember like before I did the research this week and I, I didn't even realize like, yeah, Night Vision's kind of, you can count it as a slow jam, but it's only like a minute 44. So you kind of get through it pretty quickly. And then I know, um, like something about us is a little bit slower and that feels more of like, uh, like going to the dream rock, the air dream music that you were saying there in East. And it does feel more like an air track. Well, feel, yeah, it feels like a very disco-y, like, kind of like a... Like something from Moon Safari? Yeah, yeah, because Moon, Moon Safari has that that similar sound, too. Yeah, the slow jam, mm-hmm. disco, funky, kind yeah. of in electronic love tune. That's definitely the sexiest track on the, the album. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you say an underrated song, right? Yeah, Something About Us. Oh, okay. It's, like, it's a filler track. Well, no, no, I, I wasn't referring to that. I was referring to more... The other one, yeah. No, actually, I would just I would just reinforce Anise's point. Digital Love is a, a great, a well, really well written pop song, and I think that one of these covers will probably bring it back to life eventually. 
or bring it to a, maybe the life it never knew. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if someone, if there was like a successful cover of it, maybe in a few years, because like the sound of this album as a whole hasn't really gone away. Like it doesn't sound dated at all when you listen to this yeah. album. So if you're, to, you could pretty much just take digital love verbatim and not really change much and it would work on the radio now. It's true. It's true. Especially now that, you know, auto tune is all the rage. Yeah. Yep. Everyone's a robot now. <laughs> But you, you know, whatever single or whatever covered, you know, does a good job at it and surges it forward, would have to solve that solo problem at the end. So you know, we'll see how they do that. Also, and I'm not sure. Again, this, I guess any of the songs that weren't singles could be considered underrated. But I'll throw in Voyager because it has the disco, the funk, the, the house sound. It has this cool bass line, and it still manages to have a heart. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I find I love a good harp. <laughs> Does it? Ha I'll ask. I'll ask for Ryan. Does it have any uh, tambourines in a cave? I I made no mentions of cave tambourines on this album, and I was hunting. Believe me. But <laughs> about uh, what were your thoughts on like the '80s movie uh, sounds on Short Circuit? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. It almost sounds like it could be the song played during a montage in the movie short circuit. <laughs> it's so eighties. It, it is so eighties. And maybe that's, but you know, it's kind of cool though, how that song kind of switches from almost annoyingly dancey at the beginning. And, but then it gets to like really chill. Like I'm, yeah. I know for me, it has like that whole like eighties, it's like, oh, it sounds like the future, but it's just like beeps and boops and yeah, has almost almost even like a hip hoppy sound, like I'm like I'm someone's about to break dance to it or something. And it, like the the way it ends too is really cool because it's definitely you can hear hear them just like turning a knob on a bit crusher, just like destroying it. Yeah. It's a weird song. It's a it's a weird song. I you know what I wrote down for this song is you know like the the flangy keyboard part that comes in halfway through, mm. like. That choice for an effect, I can I can imagine like putting that on, like working in the studio, and like I say I'm working with Kyle, and Kyle's like, "Huh, it's funny, we're not doing that." Like I just imagine like, what what made you decide to stick with that? It's just so weird. Maybe that's what well, it is. There, there's a uh, the one YouTuber Polyphonic. I think it's just called the Polyphonic or something. But yeah, he has a video. It, it talks. It's more about random access memory. But it talks about how in like the late 70s, disco died and partially because of like the cheesiness of it and it mm -hmm. kind of sounded dated. But Daft Punk was able to kind of make it cool. Like they use a lot of these disco sounds and stuff, but they were using it in like house music, club tracks, songs on the radio. Yeah. And they just sort of made it work and kind of revitalized that sound. And now, especially nowadays, if you jump into like pop music, if you listen to like, Kylie Minogue stuff for a lot of the a lot of the kind of dancier pop music that's still coming out this day. It's still disco, like it's so disco influenced. It's still around, like it hasn't gone away from when they were doing it twenty years ago. Definitely, that was the Jamiroquai that like. Yeah. Well, he was more. I guess he was like a funk, like more like a funk band. But still, like you listen to, well, there's a lot of disco tracks yeah. on it, a lot of disco drums and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, disco. 
has a almost like a negative connotation <laughs> with it, but I, I usually like disco stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's because of Daft Punk. <laughs> yeah, especially because the thing with a lot of the disco that was coming out in the 70s, it was all performed with like live instruments a lot of times. So yeah. you have live drums, a live bass, the live guitars, and it just sounded so like cool, like that the production value of that. And then you see them now just chopping it all up, messing with all of it, and it, they're making it work in a new way. But then they roll around and they're, they're, I guess their swan song album is just a throwback. They make a disco album. Exactly. Like, like, disco album with the live. It's almost like they made an album to be fucked with in the future by the future Daft Punks. Yeah, Here's some new samples for you guys. <laughs> that's awesome, though, because, you know, people didn't realize how spoiled they were, they were getting with their instrumental disco in the 70s. Yeah. I don't want to win. Yeah, I think the other thing is too, I think you probably just need some time. Like, what is it, like every 20 years or something, you start to see the influences of the previous stuff. So, like, these guys grew up on disco, which was one of the most popular forms of music back in the late 70s and through the 80s or early 80s. So, I could see them taking that as an influence. And then, yeah, like you were saying with random access memories, it's like they're going backwards and using like analog stuff to make a digital record. Because it's one of those, like, the whole disco thing, like what Ryan was saying, I never really disliked disco, because even growing up, like, my parents would play, like, the Bee Gees or Donna Summer, and it was just great tracks, especially, like, back when you were a kid, they're playing it on vinyl, sounds mm -hmm. great through your system, like, my parents had a nice system and stuff, and then when you kind of get older and you start learning about rock music and the history of music, and it's like, disco sucks? Like, what? You watch, like, Simpsons, and it's like, disco sucks. <laughs> and everything just tells you disco sucks, but it, it doesn't suck. Disco's great. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it did suck at the time if that was all that was happening, and you were like, oh, disco's around every corner. But now we get it, and we're like, oh, it's a little bit of disco. It's you good. actually, like, look at the history of disco. It's kind of odd, though, because um, I didn't really look it up this week. I kind of haven't revisited the history of disco in a while but <laughs> it was like short-lived like it kind of came in the mid-70s lasted like a couple like a year or two then the whole disco sucks shit happened so it died and then saturday night fever came out it was like one of those they started making the production of the movie started then disco music died and they're like oh fuck we're screwed yeah. but then the soundtrack in that movie kind of brought it back so kind of went on for like another year or two and then it died again but yeah, that is weird. I kind of, I kind of feel what you're saying though, Ryan. Like growing up, I was, I always thought like the '80s, like that sound just sounded like terrible and cheesy and corny. And then <laughs> last week, um, getting ready for like Chemical Brothers, and he sent me a track for by Bobby Orlando. Uh, She's got to have it, and I'm like, well, this stuff is like, it sounds like Chromio and all the stuff we're listening to now. So now that I've had enough exposure to like the influences of the '80s, I'm ready to kind of go back and and visit and listen to that stuff. Well, if you jump back into the 70s disco, especially now with all like the digital remasters and stuff of music, you can throw on like a like a Donna Summer track and it just sounds uh, just as lively as today. Mm -hmm. I, I can't think of the fuck. I wish my brother was here. He would know. But the one Donna Summer track was like the first 12 inch. It was like the first song put on a 12 inch. I was played it specifically made for the club. Like it was like the first club track. Mm -hmm. Is she the one that did that weekend song? Donna Summer? Yeah, you know, like the from the Black Eyed Peas weekend. She's dead. <laughs> what do you mean? Donna Summer is dead. Yeah, but like the the that weekend sample. Um, oh, the sample, I don't know. Well, I'm not it's from like the 80s or 
yeah, the early eighties. I forget who sings that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sorry. Just go back to short circuit. Um, it's funny how it combines like, um, like that eighties sound that you hear at the beginning of the beeps and boops, but then towards the end where it like, I think you called it like a bit crusher or something, Ryan, but it yeah. just reminds me of like when you're driving around in your car, like maybe it was like an early 2000s thing, but then you get a text while you're listening to the radio and it like distorts the radio. It just huh. sounds like the whole song goes in that direction. Yeah. There's literally an effect. And I can't remember the two parameters. One's like a frequency knob and you can hear, you can hear that like lead frequency changing as they crush the whole song, the whole track. It's, it's cool. It's a cool effect. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, so I guess we can kind of talk about like, there's a section of songs that we've kind of hinted at. Um, I don't know if this will apply, but for songs that you skip um, from pretty much, I guess like from track nine to about the last two tracks, there's so from track track nine to track 12 would be uh, something about us, Voyager, Veritas, Coup or Co and Short Circuit. So in there, I think those songs kind of start to sound similar. Um, so I, I don't know. I, there's nothing really like that I skip or there was anything that came to mind. Is there something in there that you guys tend to skip over or, or gloss through? One of the songs I was kind of pointing out where I was saying if those are the songs you, you do skip, you should listen to them because you'll get like there are differences. Mm-hmm. Like Barry Dequa was saying sort of like the down, the, the more kind of Frenchy sound downbeat um, <clears throat> uh, sort of stuff. And then like it's you kind of got the air brick soap, like I was saying, and then short circuit kind of gives you that whole 80s flavor. So there are things to take out of that section that do differentiate it. I don't, I don't think it gets too, I don't think it really gets repetitive, really. No. It, Other than the songs being repetitive in and of themselves. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, wait, what was the section that you were, that was the last four um, tracks? So, yeah, like, I don't count the last two, because, like, once you get to Face to Face, that's a single. Everybody kind of knows that song. And yeah. then Too Long's the closer. So I said tracks, uh, like, 9 to 12. Are those the ones in there that you'd find something to skip, or, or what do you guys? I, are you skip? including something about us in that? It's totally different. Oh, well, and just because, an amazing song. Just because Anise said he skipped it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or no, he said it was filler. He said it was filler. I like how when I'm answering the underrated question, I mention the song, and I and it turned into me hating it, even though I'm arguing about how it's underrated. Okay. <laughs> Something about us is Anise's favorite song. You cannot include it in that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I would say that that's a pretty short. The thing is that the tracks are pretty short. I mean, the tracks are pretty short and hypnotizing. So, and they all kind of start off with something really groovy. So you're like, all right, all right. So, it's not that long of a, a stretch. The whole album's pretty hypnotizing for the for the. Yeah. The only track that I skip on the album is the last track. I just don't it's too long? No, I just don't like I just don't like the vocal performance. No. And then they use that for the whole freaking thing. Yeah, for me, I, I don't know if I have a song that I skip um, per se, because it's like I no, mean it sounds like you skipped track nine to twelve. <laughs> that, that whole section's gotta go. <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's funny because I listen to Alive a lot, uh, the 2007 one, and when you listen to that album a lot and you revisit these like their their studio albums, you you see how they use like every part of 
their albums in that that live tour so even like these these tracks that hey maybe you do skip you're gonna when, if if you come back to them you're gonna be like oh, okay i remember that part how this was mixed over this and this and, and on that that live yeah, album. i'll give you another reason uh, to jump kind of sort of back i forgot to mention this before when we we're talking about underrated when i was talking about uh, digital love it's not on a live 07 at all oh yeah like yeah yes not even like the the drum part like yeah like there's literally nothing from that song in a live that i can even think of. do they just not like it or something uh, probably just doesn't like if you like that live show it's obviously pretty specific of what they were going for so i can see how it doesn't really fit in it got to be too much of a change of uh pace but i think daft punk is talented and and creative enough that they couldn't fit it in yeah, it seems like almost like crazy that that song's not on there. Yeah, it is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they cover every like other major single, every other release. They're mixing in tracks where they're music. being remixed. They got Touch It in there. They even play Music Sounds Better With You, which is a Stardust song. And they play Together, which is a Together song. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, or they, they even play Busta Rhymes. So they could have fit it in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess, did you guys have any other song thoughts or questions that you wanted to throw out there before we move on to more album related stuff? We haven't really mentioned Aerodynamic. Oh yeah, that's the one we've left off. It's quite a good banger, that one. And yes. yeah, good good build in that one too. Uh, yeah, and that's also because like a big thing that they, when they were uh, releasing this album, I kind of touched on before, they said they wanted to mix in their influences of like disco funk and rock. And this was clearly like you hear the rock coming with the guitar right off the hop. Yeah, yeah. I, I read somewhere too that um, I can't remember where. Might have been Reddit. Um, the people were saying that the bells at the beginning is is a reference to uh, Hell's Bells by AC/DC, just to play off of what you're saying with their '80s influences. That makes sense. And then again, they're like that was the song where I heard the leak. And at the time, it was just sort of the. It wasn't like the greatest of quality. It was like maybe a minute long, and it's, it was. Is this Daft Punk? Like, is this a Daft Punk song? It, it kind of sounds like Daft Punk. It's a little different, is it Daft Punk? <laughs> <laughs> um, another song that I wanted to uh, to mention is uh, Superheroes. Um, just the way you got Night Vision, where it's like that two minute track or minute forty four of like kind of just like a slow jam, and then Superheroes kicks off with that intense drum yeah. uh, drum machine sound. Uh, so it kicks off together, and then after that, the song softens. But like those that first like thirty seconds, where it's just like. Poof, yeah, but then it's, it's so intense. And you got like the, the I love the spacey keyboard solo or whatever solo that that is going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty. That's a, the good part about the. Okay, my one issue with that song is is don't you guys find the vocal sample a bit much? Like I just uh, I, I I can see how people can be turned off by it, but if you start getting. <laughs> It's one of those things that if you start getting into like Thomas Van Galter, like his stuff specifically, these short snippets of like loops that you think are like, oh, doesn't it get too much? He does that to the extreme. So if you think these are bad, you should. Okay. No, <laughs> you solos. If you think these are bad, you should hear solos. <laughs> it's just like often, like when they choose a little short snippet, a loop like that, you know, it can be really good. Obviously, you're committing to the same sound happening over and over again. So it it's better also, be good. It's also <laughs> like a like a club thing. So, like when you hear them play like superheroes in a live, you, you kind of like it's, it's a huge moment of the show. So it's like okay, like it's 
it's hard to um, like judging dance music or house music without listening to it loud and in a club. It's hard to sort of like get it. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's hard to play someone a house track and be like, you get this when you're just sitting on a couch, when you're not you know, up dancing, sweating on a dance floor, half drunk, taking pills or whatever you're on. <laughs> <laughs> that matters. Yeah, time. and you're just like, you know, you're sweating and it's like, in the <laughs> you're just sort of giving it. It's a whole different experience than sitting on the bus with your headphones on. That's <laughs> true, yeah. Got your earbuds. You're just like, yeah. <laughs> like, like in a vacuum, yeah, you could be some of these songs like, yeah, this song doesn't work for me. But again, you're, you're, you only get half the story when you're not, you know, half wasted in a club, sweating, dancing. <laughs> Besides someone else probably getting COVID or whatever's going on. <laughs> I want people to breathe on me. <laughs> I miss people breathing on me. So does it, it's interesting you mentioned that, like the importance of the live experience of this music. But I heard you guys mention a couple times that like they weren't touring this album very much. Or did they tour? Did, does that I they, not tour I, I believe the only tours they did was in 1997 and then the 2007. Yeah, uh, based on everything I've read, are those those two tours? It kicked off the two thousand two thousand seven one. Pretty much kicked off with the the big performance at Coachella. There's a couple other random ones, um, but then yeah, they toured through two thousand seven, and that's but it. Again, but again, they are DJs, so they would DJ like Thomas Ben Golter would DJ, Gimen would DJ. They just right. weren't performing as Daft Punk. They would probably DJ as Daft Punk because they because I know there was like the big Ed Banger parties. And around the time that they came to um, California, when they were working out of California, when they did Tron and all that, I know, which is, it's weird to talk about them because it's like, everything is so far apart. Like I'm talking 2001, but then I jumped to like 2005 because they're so mysterious and so everything just sort of comes out everywhere. But but no, they, they used to have these parties where you can read about it. It'd be like these parties that would have Kid Cudi, Kanye West, Lady Gaga, you know, Dead Mouse, uh, Daft Punk would be there. You'd have Steve Aoki, LMFAO. It was like the big artists from that time. And they'd have these crazy parties. And, you know, you'd go there and it'd be Daft Punk DJing. Or you'd go there and it'd be like Questlove DJing. Or you'd go there because Questlove came out last week and said that Daft Punk, one time they got him to DJ one of their parties. And he was like, what? <laughs> like, you know, every DJ, you can get anyone in the world. Why are you getting the drummer from the roots? <laughs> but I guess they had heard him and they liked the way he DJed. So they asked him the play. Pretty good call if you ask me. Yeah, or, or like if you if just do a YouTube search and just search like Daft Punk Live and you'll find so many videos of them just DJing randomly at a party or just some random nightclub where if you're there, you might not even know it's them or know it's, one of them because they're just sort of so ambiguous it's just some tall guy with glasses who has curly hair and balding and he's and that's yep that's half the daft punk right there (laughs) he looks like uh he looks when you showed me that video the other day where um i might have might have been was it justice or a banger party um but yeah he uh thomas bank alter totally looks like um what's his name ryan gosling from like blue valentine like the divorce years the later half of that movie yeah yeah, it's, it's one of those things where if you're in France or Europe or even California, you might have been at a club and they might have jumped on the stage and you didn't even know. So is this is this the difference between like rock bands and DJs? Like maybe they don't they don't felt they never felt the need to tour because they were DJs. Well, the DJ still tours. 
DJ makes a shit ton of money as well. So I don't know. I don't know like how they function is so much. It's so different. The way they move is so different than anyone else. Like if they're DJing at a party, I'm sure someone didn't hire them. They just showed up and DJ. They're probably not getting paid for it. But I don't know. Like you just see, it's like stories. You hear these like legends of, oh, they showed up at this nightclub and DJed for two hours and left. Or they showed up or they were at this party and he just came in and played one track. Like there's videos of him just showing up and dropping two tracks and then finishing. Like there's, it's, they only kind of, meeting once a week, dropping just a couple tracks, releasing something every four freaking years, and now they're breaking up. I'm just thinking maybe they're a little lazy. Uh, I wouldn't say they're lazy. They've done more for music than a lot of other people that have come out in the past 20 years. I'm not saying the music's not good. I'm just saying they didn't have to make a whole lot. <laughs> well, I mean, it just adds to their mystique, too. Imagine that. You just, like, DJ and, and do, like, a couple random shows, just randomly show up. It just adds to, like, your legend. Yeah, I, I think that was part of it. They just they wanted to build this reputation or whatever it was that they were doing. I don't know. Like, me, I was having this conversation with my brother the other day, like, do you think it was calculated? They sat down one day and said, hey, we're going to become robots. We're going to do this, the other thing. But it's all based on, like, they couldn't, you can't plan on fame, right? So it's hard to know what was calculated. Were they just going with the flow or yeah, who knows, right? I guess to answer that, I mean, just, just random thoughts. But um, I can see from pretty much once they realized what they had with like homework and what they could do or, or their potential, I think after like from discovery on is when they started, everything was well thought out. Like they knew which direction they wanted to go. That's when the robot costumes came along. Um, so I think they got really almost like self-conscious about the direction of the group. Hmm. Yeah. And then you start seeing they start doing more advertisements. So you start seeing the Gap stuff. I know they've done other ads for for various other things, um, and and just playing with their image. Like even even their Electroma, their their movie is about them, but has no Daft Punk music in it. Or it's not even them in the movie. It's other people dressed as the robot. Yeah, I guess yeah, they got to be behind the camera. Yeah. And then there was those same guys, I believe, in the Kanye video when they had the cameo. It wasn't even them. It was the guys from Electroma. See, so that's the other thing, too. I mean, I don't know, this might get, we might be jumping ahead a little bit, but, like, do you see them, um, do you see them getting other people to do it, or, or like, one comes back and the other one doesn't, and they can, they can fake it, or, like, make it become, like, an idea so different DJs can, Daft Punk's just, like, the robot thing? I'll, I'll say this, Gordon, they would never in a hundred million years do that. No. Daft Punk would never even consider one of them working with someone else and calling it Daft Punk. That would never happen. Yeah, it just it's too much the two of them. Like there's yeah. always two robots with the two helmets. It, you can't like everybody would be like disheartened and uh disappointed. Yeah. It's so. like Death from Above getting a different bass player and releasing albums is Death from Above. It just wouldn't be right. It's it's two of those two people. And when you listen, when you listen to Thomas Ben Galter's solo and uh, La Nightclub, like he men's stuff, you see who brings what to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And anyone else would just anyone else that you'd bring in would just be doing an imitation of that. But Daft Punk have even showed with their discography and their history, they don't like to repeat themselves. So to have someone come in who works like one of them is still not them because 
you don't know what they're going to do next. Or bring in like a, a third like, robot or two like new after, robots. Like after this album, did you think the next album was going to be these super repetitive, super aggressive loops, <laughs> distorted loops? Like, no, but maybe, maybe. I honestly don't know what if they said, Hey, we're gonna just release a bunch of B sides, I wouldn't even know what they would sound like. They could no, be you, from what era, who knows? Well, you can find B sides, like, there's there is that punk does have stuff. Like, if you look, they have remixes, like, they remix Franz Ferdinand or other just random house acts and stuff, and they've worked with people. Like, just search Thomas Van Galter, he's worked with a ton of people. A bunch of DJs, like you had Stardust, they had Together. Like originally they worked, uh, I remember Gordon messaged me, he's like, I didn't realize this this week, that the singer from Phoenix was originally in a band with Daft Punk and they were called Darling before before Daft Punk. And they even have a song, a couple songs out. So I did not know that. Yeah, like there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, Daft Punky things all, all over the internet if you just do searching. Like if you, I'm on the subreddit r Daft Punk and it's a very active Reddit. It's always been a very active Reddit. Yeah. So I always feel like I've been in the loop with them because I've been part of that Reddit for maybe like ten years now. But they're always posting like, oh shit, I found this like live performance from like '97 from you know this club or whatever. Oh, here's a picture of them from this era. Here's this song. Here's a different version of this here. There's so much stuff everywhere. So, yeah. And, and even with, when they did their whole pyramid show, everyone wanted them to release it on like DVD, Blu-ray, like release the video because it was such a big show, but their whole thing was, ah, enough people have been posting it from video phones online. That's good enough. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, that's part of their thing though to build from the underground with like you know just like the mystique of it oh there's only this this recording or this or whatever they didn't they didn't really build from the mainstream so why would they release like a mainstream dvd of it yeah and i think it's part of just like the the french attitude because a lot of those artists that like the french artists that came out of that scene or after that scene like mr Wazo, or you have um like Sebastian Kavinsky of Justice, yeah, DJ Medi, like all these DJs that were coming out of France after Daft Punk, and they all seem to have this attitude, like they don't care, and it's sort of it kind of carried over, uh, like the whole gimmicky thing. Even like you have Dead Mouse and Marshmallow, they're all wearing helmets or things over their heads, but with Daft Punk, it was to conceal their identity, whereas for Dead Mouse and Marshmallow, it almost seems like an image thing, which is purely for the publicity. I don't know. It's... Right, yeah, 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 for sure. It... Yeah, it's, I don't know. So, so well, let me ask Let me ask this. Do you feel that their, their costumes have added to their popularity or, like, longevity? I mean, because, I mean, if you look at other groups, like, you take Kiss, for example, I would, sure, that probably helps them out. I know their strength is in their merchandising almost, but, like, Daft Punk doesn't really... I guess they kind of have dolls and merchandise and stuff like that. But like, do you think that whole gimmick added to them, added to their appeal? Uh, well, their original, they originally didn't have the gimmick. Mm-hmm. The funk and around the world were huge. So they, I think there were the whole thing of just art before music. And this yeah. is what I was uh, getting at at the beginning where I was saying I had a take on the farewell video having more views than any of their songs, where I feel that Daft, there, there are more Daft Punk fans of Daft Punk, like their image, 
that they're robots, that they're, you know, they are do weird shit and, you know, are kind of this mysterious, then actually listen to their music. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. They, they, uh, they have become, their image has become bigger than their music for sure. Yeah, because they have like a huge cult following who just are diehards about everything about their music. And that exists and that, that's a huge vocal part online. But it just seems like mainstream wise, like we were saying, like why Digital Love wasn't even a big track. Like One More Time was big. It didn't even go number one. And these are their biggest songs. And then even Homework had the big tracks, but they, the album only went to 150. And it was kind of, their fame was lingering off their music videos back then because they had cool music videos. Yes, people liked the music too, but it seemed like it was more image even back then. And it's, it's almost like it's cool to say you like Daft Punk. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of feel like they're wearing these clear masks to conceal themselves already before the whole helmets thing. Obviously, the helmets and the whole blowing up and dying, that that all fit within their style and within their their personality and, and their values. It all aligned with we don't give a shit. So yeah. it just it seemed honest. It just seems real. It just seems like, OK, cool. Yeah, these guys mean it. That's why you don't see them in interviews and stuff. Like if they were in interviews with their helmets on and stuff like that, you could be like, okay. Well, they did. They, yeah. you, can, you can find videos with their helmets on or. Well, you probably want to do some of that, but you know what I'm saying? Like if they were playing it up so much that it, I don't know. It, it seems like they're more mysterious. Yeah. Whereas like the kiss comparison that Gordon made is a little different because Kiss's music was cheesy like they weren't really doing anything like they were making pop rock but dressed like satan or whatever and they were kind of based off this whole image like they were just partying yeah i wanna rock in like they're not doing anything new whereas daft punk it's like they're these innovators plus they have this gimmick and their gimmick is even almost like a throwback to the 70s funkadelic because the whole funkadelic thing was like a spaceship land and we came out and we're making this weird music. They used to dress up weird and stuff too, like Quincy, sorry, um, what's Boots, like Bootsy Collins has a whole get up where you have George Clinton who's all like with the dreads and everything and the different colors. So the whole spacey thing has always been a part of funk. So they kind of work that in in their own kind of new age 80s way. And I don't know, the image has made them more famous clearly, but again, like it made them famous. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the big comparison I, I, I can think of, um, or a better comparison, would be, like, you take a, a duo like the Chemical Brothers who we talked about last week, where we're like, are these guys, like, popular or famous? And yes, they are. But is Daft Punk more popular and famous than them because of their gimmick? Because we both agree, like, I mean, it's, it's slightly different kinds of music, but they are both extremely talented duos. So yeah. it's like, how come it seems like when I say Chemical Brothers or, or I say Daft Punk, which one is more popular in your mind? Well, Daft Punk... That's yeah. more popular, but... And the Chemical Brothers do music for movies all the time, is, too. I, 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 I should have probably checked this, but the Chemical Brothers probably, I'm guessing, have sold more albums, have, have, have bigger hits all, to get all around, have, like, you know, they actually tour and stuff, so they always have, like, a huge following, and their, and their fan base has grown. Not that Daft Punk's hasn't grown, but it's, it's growing based on the old songs, but you can find people who probably don't even know homework, whereas... <laughs> they know the discovery songs or they know, you know, get sure. lucky. 
Because sure. on some, some podcasts or some YouTube videos and stuff that I saw posted around them splitting up, it seemed like all the attention was random access memory and discovery. Those are the two albums I know. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, just to play off their image too, like when it was announced that they were doing the, the Tron soundtrack, it's like, oh, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yep. Uh, sorry, I did you have anything to add, Brian? I don't know. It's just weird. It, it Sometimes a gimmick can come across as, oh, you're doing this as a gimmick. And, and other times it could just like, it fits right in with who the people are. So it's like, okay, it's not just a gimmick. This is you. This is like, this is what you would do. This is your style. You know what I mean? Because even like when I used to DJ around the time where like, you know, the blog house was big and Daft Punk influence was really on display and I would play Daft Punk songs live. I remember the first few times I DJed, I was playing songs like Indo Silver Club and Burnin and stuff that I really liked off of homework. And people would come up to me, like, even while the song is playing and be like, do you have any Daft Punk? <laughs> like, well, I'm playing Daft Punk. And some of these people were like Daft Punk fans. They would be like, I'm a huge Daft Punk fan. And they'd be like, play some Daft Punk. And I'd be like, I played three Daft Punk songs. But you mean you want me to play one more time? I can play that. Play Get Lucky. I can play that maybe later in the night, but... <laughs> But this okay. was before Get Lucky. Was, yeah. Oh, but, okay. you know, Chemical Brothers, do they have any singles that are as big as One More Time or Get Lucky, for that matter? I don't know. Hey, Boy, A Girl is big. Yeah, Block Rock and Beats. Block Rock and Beats. Okay, yeah. yeah borderline. I'd say, on, I'd say, like, if you go by average, like, maybe Daft Punk's, like, peaks are higher, but Chemical Brothers had, the, like, the longer career with the more longevity the you know they kind of had some poor albums maybe in the middle but their discography as a whole is really solid mm-hmm. yeah whereas yeah. Daft, Punk, Daft Punk's is solid but they don't have as much so they don't have those duds they just have they just which you can I don't know we can talk about it when we get to the ranking but when Human After All came out it was a dud people didn't like it yeah so I guess um I guess we can we can get into that question where where does this album rank in in their discography uh, who wants to go first? Or I can go first. Nope. All right. So, are we going to rank? Are we going to count alive? Or are we just going to do the four studio albums? Whatever As... your heart desires. Okay. Ranking... In the words of in the in the words of Daft Punk, realistically, Random Access Memory is their only studio. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So I I'll I'll leave it out. Um. I like that a lot. We can talk about that after i would almost like to dedicate a whole episode to a live just because uh like anise and i and your brother we all went to the live show so we have like a a really crazy good experience with that plus that album won the grammy for best uh electronic music album um so i i'd be on board with doing a a whole album on just their uh, 07 alive tour when you start including um like to include alive in the rank it'd probably be around like the top for me but Again, it's pretty much like a great, it functions almost like a greatest hits. And like I was saying before, these songs function best when you hear them mixed in a club. And when you're listening to a live, it's pretty much you're listening to it mixed in a club. So it's hard to, you know, especially when like me and Gordon were were at the show. So we have the experience of living through it. So it's hard to separate that from like these other albums because these other albums have the same songs. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and then for me, the other thing is, too, I feel like if I say that's my favorite Daft Punk album, it's almost like calling Rogue One your favorite Star Wars movie. It's like, doesn't feel right, but... 
Um, okay, so I guess my ranking would be I, I'll for the sake of this podcast, I'll give uh, Discovery the edge, um, just because it's it's kind of like the birth of like the robot, the whole um, their whole thing, their sound that every the most recognizable Daft Punk punk sound. Um, so I'll give that the edge. Um, but I think it's really a toss up between Discovery and Homework because uh, Homework is not really more like a, an album or a concept album. It's more just like just great house tracks. Um, so it's more like let's flip a coin and we'll listen to both. So I'll go Discovery, Homework, and then Random Access Memories. Uh, that's their most mature effort. And it's it's a good listen. Um, and then Human After All is probably the fourth place. Uh, I it's it's one I like, but it's not one I revisit after hearing alive so many times. Like I get like almost through the first track on Human After All, and I just want to throw on alive. Yeah. Hmm. Um, who wants to go next? Well, my ranking's pretty simple because I only have two albums that I listen to by Daft Punk, uh, but I'll put Ram second after Discovery. It's just I go to Discovery more and I listen straight through it. But Random Access Memories, I'll just like I'll probably skip a few. There's, there's more, like, highlights on the album for me. Yeah, I know what you mean by random access memory. Like, the songs are the songs are really good on there. Like, Yeah, they're really they're good. Probably, they're probably all good. Like, they're all good songs. But for me personally, when I go to Daft Punk, I, I'm not thinking of that style of music. That's more like, you know. It's true. Like, you kind of have, like, the Pharrell tracks. You have, you know, the track of Panda Bear. So you kind of – well, I'll jump to those songs for completely different reasons than what yeah. I know go to Daft Punk for. It's yeah. like I I I'm I listen to that stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, listen. I remember when it came out. I'm like, oh, real drums. I get to hear some real drums on this, like you know, funky or pop music or whatever. But that's not what Daft Punk's known for. That's not what I would go to Daft Punk for. That that was just a a blip, I suppose, at the end of their career. It kind of brought everything together. Like I was saying, it's almost like they were making music that influenced their original music. Yeah, kind of like came full ago. circle. <laughs> yeah listening to that album it's um since it's more of like almost like a rock disco influence and electronic house kind of influence it feels like um it just it, it feels a little bit more like a history lesson and it's like an hour 15 where like an hour 15 would work on their first two or especially their first album or or, or live um because those are just dance songs like you want to you're vibing along the whole time with that it's more like there's breaks they're just more like straight up songs so that's why mm-hmm. i find it it feels a little bit longer than than it probably should Mm-hmm. Um, what's your ranking, Anise? Uh My ranking, it, it's uh, similar to Gordon, yours, Gordon. Uh, it's funny because me and my brother were talking how that homework discovery thing, like, because I'm the same way, like, is homework my favorite or discovery? Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and we were joking how it's almost, not to sound like a gatekeeper for Daft Punk or anything, but <laughs> it always seems like people who got into them after discovery always say discovery, but people who jumped on homework when homework came out, it was like just so different. Like, like I was saying, we've touched on on other episodes how growing up I was listening to dance music when I was younger because of like influences from my brother and cousins and stuff. Uh, but I, at this point, when when homework came out, I was sort of disinterested with dance music because there was nothing really going on until '97 when all these acts started popping up. But Daft Punk and homework was the only one that was like just straight up dance music. Like, it wasn't, like, as aggressive as Prodigy and Chemical Brothers. And to me, Homework is just such, like, a blueprint of everything that came afterwards. Like, mm. all the dance music I listened to afterwards, I literally started DJing the music that it influenced. You know, I have, a, like, just 
it became so ingrained in me. So I would put homework first, then discovery, then I'd go random access memory, and then human after all. Because human after all, when that when that came out, I, I'm, it was almost it was hard to listen to originally because it was like, okay, these like loops are cool and the songs are cool, but they just kind of go on forever. They don't really go anywhere. Mm. There's some cool tracks, but it wasn't until Alive came out when they were mixing those songs into the Discovery tracks where it's like, holy shit, this is like a whole different look of this album. And then when Alive came out, it also changed your view of Discovery and and Human After All because now the songs, it's almost like you had multiple versions of the same songs. But yeah, so Homework, Discovery, Ram, and then Human After All. So which one do you listen to more, though, Homework or Discovery? At least you said that homework was like a bigger deal but i listen to them probably equal because i jump between songs like back and forth for me and it's funny because when i for me when i'm jumping into listening to listen to daft punk it isn't like oh yeah i throw on around the world and one more time and i throw on you know digital love when i throw on it's usually the second half of the albums like i'm, I'm more into those just because especially when i'm playing it usually it's like i'm at the gym working out or i'm dance like we're at a party so i'm gonna throw on songs or something where i want the more livelier stuff or and like the less popular stuff i guess hmm. so i don't know and when i dj they played a lot of those songs too because they were really good songs like i said a lot of people didn't even realize it was daft punk and they kind of fit better and you could just kind of throw them in between tracks and stuff and they work really well like indo silver club i just love that song and burning was like the first daft punk like they, the other songs where the videos played a huge part too, where it's sort of like you're taking in the video with the song. So it's like, what did I like first, the song or the video? Where it's like Burning was, I love this song. <laughs> yeah, I love I love uh, rolling and scratching from that. Like it goes yeah. like, well, not necessarily like it goes around the world and then rolling and scratching and then it goes into teachers. But rolling and scratching, I, I had never heard that until I listened to that album from beginning to end. And I'm like, the energy on this is, it's kind of like under the influence. Like, it's like, where did this song come from? This is amazing. Okay, I think even that they, they would have stickers on the album that would say features the funk and rolling and scratching huh. or something like that. Cause rolling and scratching was, I think one of the earlier songs they kind of um, had and were probably giving out to DJs and stuff. Um, so I'm sorry, we, I, we skipped over the artwork. I, I didn't have I, this album. I couldn't pull it up or anything. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what the liner notes look like. I remember on human after all, they were kind of thin, but on homework, they had like a lot of notes and stuff like that and pictures. Um, so yeah, sorry. I didn't have that ready. Um, but they do keep consistent with like the Daft Punk logo, uh, like their, their brand of writing. I should have busted it out with my brother. Cause after the first album, I think he's, they had a Daft club where you could sign up the Daft club. And you mm. get like a card with your name on it. It's a Daft Punk on it. <laughs> so you had that too. And I think it was around that same time, like 99, 2000 or something where this started. Um, so I guess one other, one other question we can to continue on with the band's discography. Um, is this, is discovery their peak or where do you think their peak is? What do you think, Anise? I think their peak is alive. I think them playing at Coachella in 2006 and then going embarking on the tour, taking that show on the road in 2007, it's probably their peak, which is kind of weird because norm, like it's purely based on songs off of Discovery, but it seems like that's when it kind of garnered all the attention and they were able to go on to make an album like Random Access Memory and 
you know, do songs for soundtracks. And pretty much after this tour, it seemed like their cachet was so much. They were producing. Yeah. They were producing for people. They were making songs for movies. They were everywhere when a live yeah. came. Yeah, I remember them getting big or being in in pop culture. But that was long after Discovery. Well, not long after Discovery, but, you know, like six or seven years. Yeah. So. But, you know, that's on the heels of Discovery. So, like, uh, the, the the songs of Discovery. So, depends what you mean by peak peak in their career or peak in their, like, artistic development. Well, whatever whatever you want. Like, if, if I were to answer that question, I would say peak in their, I guess, in their career. And I, I think it's probably Random Access Memories just because they just kept going. Like, I know Alive, I, I have to acknowledge the Alive Tour, the importance of that. It probably got them to to produce for those other acts and stuff like that. Um, but I think they honestly went out on a high note. I know it's been four or well, it's been eight years since that, that last album came out, but I think they just ended it on a, like they just kept going and then they ended it on a high note. That's why it was so almost tragic when they called it quits yeah. this week. I would just say like for creatively, you can, it's kind of weird because like Disco- like homework did so much new stuff, discovery refined it, but I feel like it wasn't appreciated till the, that whole tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They might they might have gotten the cachet and stuff afterwards to do all that stuff. But I still think like if you track their trajectory, it probably goes up to alive. And then it kind of, yeah, they were getting more popular, but I don't know. I would still say it seemed like that two, that year in 2007 was just so big. Like I just remember that tour being everywhere. There was like videos from it being posted. Everyone was just sort of talking about Daft Punk again. But get lucky though, that damn song yeah. the radio so I mean- much. And, and I know we kind of always begrudgingly talk about the Grammys, but like it did get them all the Grammys. They did win the album of the year. I mean, it seemed like they put the critical acclaim and their popular popularity together to make something that like, I don't know if like Daft Punk fans from the very beginning, how much they liked that album, but like it for everyone on the pop level, I think that's where they, they had their peak. For me, for uh, Daft Punk, for me, they like, you know, they're a band that's a group that's known for using a lot of like the loops and the samples and like just very repetitive music, like very progressive and repetitive. Mm-hmm. Whereas usually for their songs, they might be repetitive. They have their builds and stuff, but they're short enough that they leave you wanting more. When yeah. they end, it's like there's so many times where I finish listening to like Crescent Dolls and throw it back on or finish listening to Face to Face and then play it immediately again. Whereas with Random Access Memory, I got so sick of Get Lucky when that song came out. Like, and it, it was kind of sad because it was like, oh, all these years I want this band to kind of get the attention and they finally do. And I'm just like, stop playing this fucking song on the radio. Yeah. And then the, the radio version was like three and a half minutes or whatever. But then on the album, it was like six minutes long. Yeah. So now you're not running into this short repetitive. Now you're getting this six minute song that keeps repeating the same refrain over and over again which I kind of understand because that's how disco was and that's how funk was. Songs were always kind of long in the tooth and would be very repetitive. But for me, it seemed like the stuff they did earlier on progressed that sound. And it was like, I know they're kind of paying homage and everything, but they kind of just went back to it. So as, as much as, yeah, they were super popular at that point, I don't think they were releasing their best work. No, yeah, I sure. agree they weren't, but they that seemed like... They're, that seemed like to be the height of their career with the Grammys and all yeah. that stuff. Everybody, like the mainstream was like, oh yes, yes, we've always been on board with Daft Punk. They're great, remember? 
for the uh going back to what you're saying Anissa, about like repeating tracks after you hear them the only track on random access memories that i i do repeat is the last track i find contact is like it's mm. it, it's the closest to like the original stuff it's, it's bigger and sounds a little more bloated than the other stuff but like it's the closest to like that pounding energy that you might get in like rolling and scratching mm. so I, I do throw yeah i'll hit repeat on that one from time to time they could have used if they had another song like a pop song with it may not have made get, get lucky be so annoying if they had another single that could have because was there another single off of oh yeah they released a ton they released like they released a dance and, i don't mean just another single i mean something that matched or approached the level of get lucky i don't think so no because get lucky was so huge but like instant crush was big I, I saw a lot of people posting that song or talking about that song after the the news this week, and uh, yeah, lose, lose yourself to dance was a big yeah. one. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. That one is probably my second favorite track on the album. But another good another song on there that kind of is reminiscent to more of this style of stuff is uh, the Giorgio by Marauder. That's mm. a good too. They call me Giorgio. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I love that song. But uh, it's still, like, that's the thing. I still really like Random Access Memory. I just don't go back to it as much as the first two albums. Like, even Human After All, I don't really revisit as much as... I, I get my Human After All fill from Alive, purely from Alive. Yeah, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you on that one there. Um, and I think, going back to Get Lucky for a second, I remember when that song came out, and I think it was, what, like a 30-second loop that they just released, just as, like, the release, and then people were looping that. So you could go on YouTube and fall asleep to that. Like, they would have, like, a 15-hour version of just, like, a 30-second loop over and over. It's catchy as hell, but I can understand why you might think it's, like, the most overplayed loop ever. It's also, like, a, uh, so it's like a moment in time. It's featuring Julian Casablancas. Mm-hmm. Pharrell, Pharrell Will, Williams on a bunch of tracks and Panda Bear. <laughs> like you also have like you know, uh, Giorgio Moroder and, uh, and Todd Edwards and yeah, yeah, yeah and all that and all those people and uh, Nile Rogers. But it's just funny like Panda Bear, Julian Casablancas, and Pharrell Williams. It's just so like what was it, 2012 or whenever when this came out? Because like Pharrell Williams is probably the one he'd probably still be on there. But like now you'd probably have a track with Weekend, The Weekend. Yeah. It'd be interesting that it would have been my brother kind of pointed this out or came out 2013 sorry but um donna summer died the year before and i believe the plan was to have her on the album which would, oh, have, been, which would have been really cool right and so did uh um i know what's his name from uh from this album rom anthony he died i think in yeah. 2013 as well roman anthony also died so he probably would have been on it as well if he didn't pass away yeah um so i guess um we kind of we were hinting at it before we, we pretty much were talking about it um where is daft punk's place in history do you guys have anything else to add on to that or or anything you would have liked to see by them that we won't see now like it's just uh like what i was saying at the beginning they're just pioneers they pretty much changed uh house music or dance music where like my brother my brother who's like are my expert in when it comes to dance music <laughs> was pretty much saying like you can draw like a clear line in the sand and be like this music is before Daft Punk and this music is after Daft Punk like sure you have some people like Armin van Helden and you have like Buckethead and the Buckethead story and there was like some tracks like the porno porn kings and stuff who were kind of similar but there was just something so different when homework came out that uh 
and then discovery just sort of built on that just sort of changed pop music because like these the songs on this album now you look at it you look back and you say Daft Punk is an EDM group like they make electronic dance music mm-hmm. but these songs nowadays the same sort of vibe and style you can picture someone just singing on it and being popular on the radio now mm-hmm. it's just it created such a change in, in music they brought disco back yeah <laughs> Now, my question is this. How does the history of um, auto-tune, like being used stylistically, track with Daft Punk? Like, I always associate, like, the earliest use of it with them, even though I'm sure it wasn't. But, like, as Uh, as a tool, not as, like, a correction method. Oh, as a tool? Yeah, they're probably one of the first. I'm sure it was used, like, in the... Similar stuff was used in the 80s, like Don Marigato, Mr. Roboto, and those kind of it's stuff. It's a little bit different, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it seemed like for them, it was only kind of when they were singing. So it's like they're robots, so they sound yeah. like robots. But I always attributed, I remember the first time hearing autotune and people talking about it was uh, Share, Life After Love. So oh, I was associated yeah. with that, which I think was 97 or 98. Yeah, I would just say 98. Sounds 98 or maybe even 99. Right, like on, I don't think there's any of that on homework auto-tune. I, I, I think you have the vocoder with like the funk. I think that's the vocoder. So but, maybe it's just a, a, a accident of history that that sound was kind of taking off around then and they died in an accident and they needed robots to sing. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. Well, I guess that's when it was like people were starting to use, it became a tool you could use. So it made sense. They were using all the new tools and they'd use that as well. Yep. Um, so I, did you guys have any final thoughts before we ask the question? Anything that we might have missed that you wanted to add? Uh, no. Cool. Um, so I guess we can kick it off. Uh, is this album essential? I think we pretty much spent the whole episode talking about <laughs> how it is. But do, uh, how do you, who wants to answer the question first? Uh, I'd say I'll, I'll start. Yeah, it's 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 essential it's pretty much changed pop music like our dance music and then by extension pop music by extension hip-hop music by extension every like a lot of types of music even rock music like you hear like when even when you hear like someone like tame and paula now which falls into the rock category you still hear it or you you had the indie rock i know there's other influences that go into but you had like animal collective we had Panda Bear featured on Random Access Memory, who was also playing with samples and loops and build-ups. And, but they were doing, you know, not dance music. But yeah, I just feel like they changed music so much that pretty much those first two albums, it's hard to argue that they're not it's like essential just because of what they brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely going to agree that this is an essential album. I mean... Like, you're going to hear one more time, very many times in the future. And, the, I mean, maybe some of the other singles don't have quite, didn't have quite the, uh, you know, didn't pop quite the same. But they keep getting used. You know, Kanye West brings it back. So I'm going to say that the remnants and the feeling and the influence of this is going to stick around for a long time. Including this, at, at least one of the songs. So, you're gonna to want to know what that's about. So yeah, I wouldn't like. I wouldn't even be surprised. I was saying it like the day they announced the split. I'm like, this is gonna be the summer of Daft Punk. This yeah. summer, especially when things start like 
hopefully if things start like opening up a bit more again, like this summer, I'm sure you're going to hear Daft Punk all summer. It's already happening. Like you're watching the hockey game. You can hear in the arena. It's playing Daft Punk. Or you're watching anything. They're playing Daft Punk. So it's definitely this news too is kind of bringing it back. And this is like the, like when I think about Daft Punk, this is what I think about this album. Yeah. It has like the funkier stuff and the disco stuff. Yeah, uh, but also all the electronic chopped up samples and all that crap too. So we should like Gordon answer too. Oh yeah, Gordon. Oh yeah, no, no, I agree. Um, pretty much, yeah. Just to just to state what you guys are saying, I I think it's essential. I think Daft Punk has three essential albums. Um, the first two, and then Alive is is amazing. It's probably one of the greatest live albums I've I've ever heard. Um, I think yeah. This is the album that also uh, it adds all the disco, like their their influence. What what um, I think even casual Daft Punk fans when they think of Daft Punk, they probably think of songs from this album. Uh, and it also started their their whole gimmick or their costumes of wearing masks and stuff like that. So it traces back to this album. Um, so I think that's where you find people not even knowing what homework is, but knowing, but calling themselves a Daft Punk fan. Um, I, I hope they don't go away. I hope they're they're with us forever um, as they, they should be. Uh, it was just funny because one of the, one of the, at my work in our group chat for the whole company, um, one of the older people who worked there, I'd say a little bit older, he's only like three years older than me, but um, he put like a, posted an article in our chat saying, uh, hey, look at Daft Punk's like, it's a sad day, Daft Punk and, and the article, Daft Punk's broken up. And like only three people like react with like some sort of emoji, like looking sad or anything. So I'm like, so we got like 60 people, I work with 60 people and like only three people or four people care about Daft Punk. So I hope it's, I hope they're bigger than that and, and they have the staying power that they should. They are bigger. I think that, like he said earlier, like they are bigger than their music is, like the mystique of the, these two robot electronic guys. But it's true, like some some people just, uh, there is a lot of people who just think, ah, it's pretty mediocre. Like I, that was one of the posts I saw on Facebook. It's like, oh, thanks for years of mediocre music. And I was just like, oh, man, I, I just got to get off this social media shit. <laughs> that hurts to hear. Yeah. Yeah, and like I think this year, if they, especially with them announcing their ending, like I said, they're probably going to be like the summer of Daft Punk this year, going to not be able to escape it, which possibly, or it's probably already starting with people working on music now. I wouldn't be surprised if you get like a resurgence of Bloghouse. Digital cover, digital love cover coming soon. Oh, nice. There you go. Another one. I just decided now listening to you talk. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it, it's, it could, hopefully, maybe it brings back that sound. We start getting that that whole french house sound back in the uh in the clubs they even exist anymore but just out it'd be cool to hear those songs again because this week i spent a lot of time listening to you know justice and mr wazo and uh dj falcon and stuff and it was all so refreshing it's all like fun music like it's a disco it's party music we still have a bit of the edge with with the uh, more aggressive sounds and loops and stuff so i look it forward is, it is really fun like putting this on after hearing they were breaking up it's just like oh yeah this is this is really good makes me want to do stuff puts a yeah. smile on my face i could do another summer of like 07 because that's when we went and saw live but like all the bands like that electro pop stuff blog music that yeah, was like the shit back then yeah because when we saw them it was uh daft punk and then sebastian and kravinsky dj and then the rapture opened yeah rapture opened 
And then, yeah, all those bands from back then, like, I mean, I remember Vitalik, Boys Noise, like everything like around that. It, it was like aggressive. It just seemed to be hitting at the same time. And it was, Boys, it was awesome. Boys Noise never stopped, my friend. Yeah, I know. I should, all these, all these bands where it's like post 2011, it's like, do they still DJ? Are they still around? I'll, I'll send you some stuff. <laughs> yeah. So send away Mastercraft. I haven't heard anything from them in a while. Oh, they were, they were releasing a bunch of stuff last year. And they have their own label now, and they have a. If you, can, if you go on um, Spotify, you can just follow their labels playlist, and they just put every new song, so you get a bunch of good house tracks. And then Master Craft was very much, especially when you listen to the first album, it's very much influenced by Daft Punk, even yeah. Death, Robot Voices and everything. So <laughs> same, same sort of aesthetic. And even Death from Above was. <laughs> you can hear some Daft Punk in there too. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, yeah. When Mastercraft first came out, they started with like so many remixes. They're just remixing like rock songs, and that's how they like Justice songs, and and that's how they made their name. Um. So yeah, I don't have anything else to add. Do you guys? That's it. That's, I'm good. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys next week. I finally, go pee now. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Essential Albums podcast. That one was recorded in February. Next week, we relive the 90s nerd rock flagship, The Blue Album. Watch out for new episodes. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And give us a follow on Instagram at The Essential Albums Podcast. Original music by Ryan Dugal. Artwork by Vincent Tran. Thank you.